Today on The Courier Daily, a step-by-step guide of what to do if you can't afford your office rent. Look, Mr. Landlord, we all know this is a really tough time. If you want the rent, and I'm going to try, obviously, our best, and we've started this dialogue, I've actually got friends XYZ looking to share some space. Would you be open and, and would you be amenable to this? And they're like... Yeah, absolutely. That's the way you should be going. And later in the show, how the founder of a fast-growing flower company in California is rethinking her business amid the crisis. There's a 90% chance, 90-95% chance we'd be out of business. We only had eight weeks of runway, which I didn't tell my team until recently because I didn't want to freak them out. We're doing much better now. But we had eight weeks of runway Like that you know, I called everybody. The first thing I did besides cry in the shower for an hour and let myself feel sorry for myself for a little bit, and then I got to work on pivots. The first thing I did was call everybody I could to to ask them, you know, do you think this is a three-week shutdown? Because we can come back in three weeks and we'll be okay. And every single person that I talked to except for one said there's no way. And these are like some medical people, you know, like there's, they said there's no way it's three weeks. Plan for it being several months. And so knowing that I only had eight weeks to runway, I had to do something or I just had to shut it down. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. It's the 14th of April and this is the Daily Podcast from Courier. We're checking in with small business owners and experts the world over to find out clever ways to adapt and grow. And first up today, a super practical guide to dealing with your office rent. Whether you're paying for a monthly co-working space or a long-term lease for three floors in a deluxe building, well, rent is probably one of your biggest outgoings. And if you've been listening to this show, you'll know that tons of business owners are struggling to pay those bills. Well, on the line now is Luke Appleby. He's the co-founder of Contour. And that's Contra with a K. Luke's firm finds office space for growing startups like Allbirds, Deliveroo, and Monzo. And Luke, I mean, the biggest question right now for most people listening, if I'm a business owner in the middle of a lease and I literally can't afford to pay, what are my practical options? Really depends. That's such a cheesy line, but it's true. In terms of, let's say you're in the middle of the lease, like you've point, like you've asked, it's all down to the details of what's in that lease. But it's about going back, digging out those documents that we've all forgotten about and we've put, posted into our top drawers and never to be seen again and reading the small print and really seeing in there what our options are. Is there a break clause in the lease as well? If there is, when is it? How much notice do I have to give? How do I have to serve that break notice? So all really important things to read and consider and look at and, and to make sure it's filed correctly. Let's say there's no break clause. Let's say the expiry isn't for another year, two years even, but you're having issues or struggling to potentially pay the rent. Then our top advice currently is to start a dialogue with your landlord or with the co-working space as quickly and as soon as possible. Because, you know, everyone in this crisis, we're all hurting but it's about being open and and transparent and opening up that dialogue as soon as possible. A lot of institutional landlords we're dealing with are trying to help as much as possible, but they will be much more receptive if obviously you go to them first rather than doing nothing and and potentially just, you know, stop paying the rent full stop and or walk away. We're seeing landlords, if you are struggling and you're able to demonstrate that, we're seeing people offering deferring rent, rent holidays, whether it's, you know, a couple of months, the next quarters, etc. So it's about starting that dialogue with the landlord as soon as possible and being open and honest up front and really ascertaining what your options are at this current time. 
I mean, there are tons of founders right now who have the attitude of, well, you know, what are they going to do if I don't pay my rent? I mean, obviously that doesn't sound like the most prudent, you know, course of action, but if it comes down to it, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Are you seeing that with your clients a lot right now? Some people literally generally may not have that option to pay in terms of cash flow. We know how tough things are at the minute. And unfortunately, that may be the case. And that is ultimately what the rent deposit is there for, typically for the landlord to offer them some downside protection in these events. And again, that was part of the original agreement that they agreed to and signed up to. So they're well aware that, you know, these eventualities can happen. Whether we all guessed that the eventuality would be obviously this particular crisis, I don't think anyone could have envisaged. And I think it's been 10 times anything that we could have sort of thought of. I think the advice again would be, you've got to be careful because even still, yes, you could you could sacrifice your rent deposit. Technically speaking, your company is still on the contract, on the lease or potentially on the license agreement if you've taken a serviced office. So they could, in theory, still come to you for that business. So it's not something you can literally, typically speaking anyway, literally sort of walk away from. But we're also seeing a lot of co-working spaces, a lot of landlords saying, look, we understand the predicament. We want to help you get through this. Could we do 50% rent for next quarter? Could we do a rent holiday and you top it up or we amortize it across the rest of the term? Or how about this? You've got three to six months left on your current contract. We know that it's a real struggle potentially for the next six months, but hopefully when we get through this, of course, your business is going to be hopefully back to full strength. What if you were to sign up for a potential extension, three, six, 12 months even, and what we'll do is we'll offer you that initial rent-free or amortize it across and maybe even give you a greater incentive to try and keep you in the space and in the building. So landlords and and, and like I say, the co-working spaces and providers are, are trying to be as proactive as possible. And it's really about engaging in that dialogue, I think. You guys posted a really great blog on the Contour website, you know, laying out the potential options if you're struggling. And you say, you know, if you have some spare desks in your office, you could potentially rent them out as a short-term solution. But one of the key things is something called alienation rights. What are those? Yeah, so alienation rights is, yeah, I mean, it's, it's typical property jargon, but it's really, what am I able to do what rights do I have on this property to, in effect, kind of dispose and or share of this space? And so what a lot of people think or mistakenly think is, oh, I can quickly just go up, you know, I've got five, 10 desks spare now or in the future or, or even before this, I can just rent them out to my friends, you know, other startups, etc., and and that'll be fine. And 99% of the time, you know, so long as the landlord's getting the rent, are they a even aware? Are they getting the rent? And does anyone mind? But technically, a lot ninety percent of the time, you're actually in breach of that lease. And there's a lot of property kind of legality reasons about that in terms of that they don't want anyone else that they haven't signed up to have any form of access or possession over the space because when it comes to the end of the term they might want to redevelop the building and they want to be, know that they can get vacant possession of that building and there, there's a whole myriad of kind of and I won't bore you to death and this is just of the minutiae into that but it's really people have got to be very wary about doing that 
if you've got a traditional lease, a lot of landlords are now very receptive to having clauses put in that would allow you to do that in terms of sharing desk and sharing occupation. But you've 100% should raise that when you're signing up for your new one or next one. And or if you're in the halfway through is, look, Mr. Landlord, we all know this is a really tough time. If you want the rent, and I'm going to try, obviously, our best, and we've started this dialogue. I've actually got friends, X, Y, Z, looking to share some space. Would you be open and, and would you be amenable to this? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. That's the way you should be going. Because it goes back to our earlier point. Yes, of course, you could be in breach of the lease. Is a landlord realistically going to say, right, I'm going to kick you out for breach of this lease? Because equally, they're looking for the rent. But Landlords are very, very protective of who actually has actual occupation because it opens a real can of worms for them later down the line in terms of they might not be able to get that tenant out, like I say, if they want to do redevelopment or, dare I say, prices have gone up and they want to renegotiate. So there's a real myriad of options. Like I say, we, we share it across our network and we've seen some real strong, really, really good interest in that. And, and, and that's just, to be honest, more helping our clients and, and friends out. Next up. Christina Stembel is the founder and CEO of the online flower delivery startup, Farm Girl Flowers. Christina bootstrapped the company and grew it into $32 million in revenue last year. But when the crisis hit, she had to shut down her entire distribution center in San Francisco in 12 hours, throw out hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of flowers, and furlough hundreds of team members. Well, a bit earlier, I caught up with her to find out some of the lessons she's learned. The day before the mayor's office issued the stay-at-home mandate. I received some intel from friends that had heard that this might happen the next morning. So I had, you know, like a 18-hour notice or so before it actually happened. And I made some wise decisions looking back on that I'm glad I made. At that point, I was like, should I do this or not? You know, the first thing I did was email all of our farms that we had orders that hadn't yet left. I knew that we had hundreds of thousands of dollars of flowers already in transit. But the ones that hadn't left the farms yet around the world, I contacted every single one and I canceled the order. And where are those farms located? In the U.S., in South America, some in Europe, Holland, all over the world. I canceled it, which isn't fair to them. I I can do that because I'm a big enough account. But, you know, there's a ripple effect that people don't think about, about how this is impacting more people than just your own company. And so I felt horrible about that. But I told them, you know, I'd rather come back and reorder from you than, you know, I don't want these getting on trucks and planes right now. And then I turned off all of our credit cards <laughs> immediately so I could like keep all of our cash as much as we could. I called three of like the senior people at my company and got a meeting with them to start figuring out what we were going to do if we had to shut down the next morning. In those hours when you did learn that this actually was going to happen, you had to shut down your, your distribution center in San Francisco entirely. Yeah. So we were given 12 and a half hours. We were given until 11.59 that night. And so we'd already had hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of flowers show up that morning and we're in route that we're coming the next day as well for our weekly orders. We have a second distribution center that was we set up January 5th of this year in Ecuador. So that was one of those changes and that saved our lives. Like I'm not even saying that ironically. If we didn't have that facility that did 10 to 15% of our orders that we immediately had to switch, you know, 100% of orders to that facility, we wouldn't have been able to make any orders. We wouldn't have been able to fulfill the orders that were already in the system for the rest of the week. So, you know, we needed to shut down that facility. We needed to throw out, we gave away as many flowers as we could. We tried to donate them. And then we threw away about $150,000 worth of flowers that day. 
Yeah, you posted on Instagram, you know, a rather dramatic looking pile of beautiful flowers getting bulldozed. And, you know, um, and you kind of what was interesting is you had to explain to a lot of your followers why that was a necessity. And, you know, why couldn't you just give it away? And you were having to say, you know, hospitals wouldn't take them. And it's kind of crazy to me, the judgment that people have right now sitting in a place of privilege, to be honest, you know, without having to make these hard decisions as a business leader and, you know, a CEO. And that's been really challenging for me to have to constantly explain myself to people when they've never, you know, had to see what it's like to do, make the decisions that we're making. And, you know, there's a lot of companies that are going to hit right now about, you know, laying off team members and, and things like that. And it's really easy from the outside to be like, how dare you, you know, assuming that these companies have millions of dollars sitting in their bank accounts when they don't, you know, and if you don't have orders, how do you pay salaries and how do you pay for product that you just had to throw out and you, you know, things like that. So that's been challenging and, and something that I probably will write a long format thing about afterwards, you know, once we get on the other side, because maybe it can, can teach people a little bit, but that's been a challenging part of having to, to feel at the defensive a lot when we're already just trying to stay afloat. If you didn't have that Ecuadorian facility, do you think you'd be out of business? Yes, I do. I think there's a 90% chance, 90, 95% chance we'd be out of business. We only had eight weeks of runway, which I didn't tell my team until recently because I didn't want to freak them out. We're doing much better now. But we had eight weeks of runway like that, you know, I called everybody. The first thing I did besides cry in the shower for an hour and let myself feel sorry for myself for a little bit. And then I got to work on pivots. The first thing I did was call everybody I could to, to ask them, you know, do you think this is a three week shutdown? Because we can come back in three weeks and we'll be okay. And every single person that I talked to, except for one, said there's no way. And these are like some medical people, you know, like there's, they said, there's no way it's three weeks. Plan for it being several months. And so knowing that I only had eight weeks of runway, I had to do something or I just had to shut it down immediately because and save every dollar I could to be able to pay bills. So I decided to double down on the risk and open another farm level. I came up with the pivot plan where we would actually operate from the farms. And while that doesn't help me as much with my team and having jobs, it does help ensure that more people aren't laid off than need to be because these farms are getting ready to lay off hundreds of people on these farms. And in Ecuador, we're opening a second distribution center in a different region because they're in a curfew and they were getting ready that that farm we're working with is getting ready to lay off a thousand workers. And so I've had to broaden my thought process about like, you know, I might not be able to save some of my jobs, but I'm going to save other jobs. And so we opened a distribution center at a farm about an hour and a half away from San Francisco. And, you know, that's another cost center. So it was a huge risk, actually, because, you know, we had an immediate 60% decline in sales as soon as we shut down San Francisco. And I didn't know how much of that decline was from consumer fear of an uncertain account economy. And if it was, you know, everybody saying we're going into a recession, save every penny, or if it was because they couldn't get overnight shipping any longer. And it took four to five days and we were selling out so quick that it was taking a week and a half sometimes to get flowers. And so I didn't know what percent was from which one of those thought processes. And if I set up a second cost center and all of that was consumer fear, then I just made my eight weeks down to four weeks of right, you know, time I had. And that was just a really unwise decision. Thankfully, it was not. As soon as we got this facility up and, and running, our numbers bounced back plus some. Have you tried to tap up the U.S. government for those loans that they're giving out? We have. Unfortunately, the way that they're set up, I think we'll qualify for the PPP loan that we submitted. However, I don't think any of it will be forgiven because the way they've set up, you have to have the same amount of employees on June 30th as you had February 15th. And of course, February 15th is the day after Valentine's Day. 
So the height of our number of employees that we would ever have for the whole year right then would be the day after Valentine's Day and the day after Mother's Day. And so they chose that date. And we, there's no way that we will have the same amount of team members on June 30th, the way that we've, I've needed to pivot. So I've changed our entire distribution model. Like we will never go back to one or two centralized, like all of our bouquets coming from those locations or that, that one being 90% of our orders. That just, you know, is the thing I was the most proud of because I was like, we're the only flower company that makes all of our bouquets in house. And then we're the only flower company that get hit <laughs> like this during, you know, an environmental condition that we had no control over because I didn't diversify enough to make my company more secure. And so that's what I'm doing. And so we will never go back to that same model. You know, I will make sure that we are less, just more risk adverse for for moving forward to make sure this doesn't happen again. And I know obviously Mother's Day in the US is coming up. That's probably one of the big days for you guys. Are you lucky that it's coming up so close to now and not, you know, 11 months from now? <laughs> no, I really wish it was in July or something this year. Um, Why? Because you won't be able to fulfill enough orders. Yeah, yeah. So everybody in the flower industry is feeling like we have a ticking time bomb on our heads, basically. Everything is broken right now. Like transportation is broken. Like everything is fragmented and broken. And so nothing that worked, you know, a month ago works the same way now. So even like you know, choosing the farm that I chose to work with for this distribution center was very strategic on where we could get enough flowers within 25 miles because it's a lot of farm owners in vans bringing me flowers. It's like we're back in like the 70s again before there was like the infrastructure that was built to be able to do this much better than it than it is right now. So, you know, the truck lines have shut down because they didn't have enough business. So we're going into the biggest holiday of the entire year. And this holiday is also really important because the summer months in flower slow down tremendously. We call it the summer slump. So we have four months where our sales will go down 30 to 50% in the summer. And so Mother's Day is what gets us through till October. And if we don't have a solid, like a really strong Mother's Day, we might not make it to October. My special thanks to Luke Appleby from Contour and Christina Stembell from Farm Girl Flowers for today's show. Have any questions you want answered from legal to branding, just record your question and email it to me at daniel at couriermedia.co. We might just be able to put it on a show. Make sure to sign up to Courier Weekly, our email newsletter, for more stories of pivoting, adapting, surviving, and growing. Head to couriermedia.co slash sign up. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. The Courier Daily is back again tomorrow.